0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have Ted Knutson, one of our favorite guests, talking about Corona, food, what the U.S. has done wrong, and it's a lot of things, and uh, what we want to do most when this whole thing's over. So with that, let's start the
1: process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet. Bet
2: the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking. We're looking for the edge of Massey body rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where we have our one of our favorite guests. Maybe our favorite guest, one of our favorite guests, um, Ted Knutson, otherwise known as Mixed Knuts on Twitter. Welcome, Ted. Um, First question I have is, how is shelter in place in England and what is happening there that isn't being reported that um, is either the most appalling thing or the, the best thing?
2: Initially, I think it was appalling that we had such a delay in like the, the total death numbers. And so like, you know, we, we talked I mean, about this. It was this appalling
0: lit- that you guys had a delay in total death numbers? Why was, was, was that appalling? Well, because like we didn't like, know. Like mass I... destruction of human beings? What? No, 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 no.
2: Like the delay in the data. So like the, oh, the, da- the data has been uh-huh. lagged su- substantially. I just thought right? you're
0: sad more people weren't dying. <clears throat> Yeah, that too.
2: I, I'm, I'm totally which I heartless. Some,
0: which I think some press people in the U.S. are upset about that sometimes. They're like, wait, the numbers say that more people should be dying. Why aren't they dying?
2: Yeah. Um, and that actually is a very interesting conversation because like, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. So here anyway, so this is what we kind of found out. Um, very early on, the government changed a bit of their reporting. They were lagging the, the deaths. They changed actually like the, the timing of it. Um, but a lot of that was actually fairly natural and what we've realized is that the uk has actually been basically one of the best countries in producing data overall which is one reason why like the ft analysis has actually been quite good Um, but it took them a while to get up to speed the united states and the distributedness of like the information and how political a lot of it is it's you know especially in the southern states you know who knows what florida really looks like right now and and so, like that, I think is is one of the the early things about COVID. Would you trust
0: the information out of Florida more or out of China more? Hmm.
2: I would, they, probably Florida, but man, that that don't put me on that fence. That's that's harsh.
1: Wait, so, so is it not as poli- it's not political in England at all, huh?
2: It is, but the government like clearly fucked up, and that I think that's like the most obvious thing that it. What happened was, you know, you had two countries that really went off peak and, and, and to some extent you get Sweden as well, decided that they were going to take a different pattern. And what we're seeing is that the countries that did lockdown, and especially the ones that did test and trace, are coming back to speed and will come back to speed much, much faster than the ones that decided that they were going to pursue even some form of herd immunity. And I think part of that, Jeff, I know Jeff wants to talk about behavioral stuff, but like humans just decided at some point, oh yeah, fuck this. Like we're going to protect ourselves. Like we're going to stay out of this, even if the government like has chosen this strategy. And so you can't control the actors within it. That actually is the sort of the infection vectors.
0: So we were talking about this and the, the, the natural in, in, uh, inclination that people have had to embrace shelter in place to almost this extreme amount. And, you know as we talk about it in our household and wonder like when we're going to come back to like some form of normalcy I'm now of the mindset that like people are just stupid and they can't actually discern what is a reasonable risk or what is like versus like what is not a reasonable risk and that's the reason that we have to continue to shelter in place because like the social aspects of being able to interact with another family Where your young kids can actually play together with one other family outside, you know, in a playground or you know, in your own backyard. I have to think, especially if both families have been quarantined for upwards of eight weeks, which we have, I have to think the risk there is tiny, is almost infinitesimal. And it's probably riskier to go to the grocery store where there's a bunch of people that are randoms rolling through than it is to do that. But yet people are resisting this social interaction. Maybe because they don't like me or my family, but the reality is that, like, I think it just is interesting, like, because ultimately what is pe- the people that are doing this, what is their plan? Are they going to continue to no longer interact socially until we have a vaccine? Or what are they, wait- like in your minds, when, when is the moment that we can start interacting more socially in these controlled environments, which we think have very little risk? You guys are both smart. So if, you know, I've I've said that the reason that people don't want to do this either they don't like us or because they're dumb. If, am I being wrong in saying this? I think or, dumb in the terms of ignorant is
2: probably more the right case. Go ahead, Rufus. I know you got
1: I, a point. I was going to say. I mean, it's easier for people to sort of just follow an order than to figure out the nuances of of the disease and the you know what is risky and not risky. I mean, my my fiance is a, a doctor. She's actually working on the on the COVID floor. Um, and she, you know, it's ridiculous to think that like, she can't go out and hang out with other doctors socially who are doing the same thing. I mean, they're, they're both exposed to the same thing. She's already had it anyway. Like to me, it, it, you know, the sort of one size fits all thing. I agree, Jeff doesn't really, doesn't really seem right. And, and I'll be honest, we did, we did have like, um, two doctors over like for dinner last week and we were like feeling strangely guilty about it, but it's like, well, what is, there's really no risk there.
2: Is no risk externally and, and you guys have already been exposed and stuff like that. And and that's true. I think one of the big things that, that has been absolutely clear in a lot of the West is the messaging around this has been horrific. Like the government messaging has been all over the map. Uh, you know, the UK changed strategy. The U S has had no strategy intentionally for the most part. And it, it then became a state by state strategy. And like the central government is like fighting the state government and federalism gets in play it's like it's this incredibly painful thing but so here's the thing though I think I think ignorance is is like what's feeding a lot of this and people are afraid rightly so and they've been encouraged to be afraid because like you know that if you're if you're trying to find factual information it has been like surprisingly difficult but my big question right here that, that would that speaks to behavior very much what mitigating factor does wearing a mask externally have for you and if you know that, then that allows you to change your behavior as long as you feel like you're more protected. Like, can I travel around the world right now wearing a face mask everywhere, everywhere that is like my hotel room and have very little chance of being exposed? Probably. Okay, so
0: have I missed something? I've always thought that the mask situation was not so much protecting yourself, but protecting those around you from your, your transmission.
1: So if it's if gotta I could, be both, right? Jeff, because both. you because you, you you I mean you get the virus, it's a respiratory virus, but you largely get it through your, touching your face with your hands. But I guess so it wouldn't project you there. But I mean it but I guess you could get it if somebody sneezes on you, you could get it that way, right? If it's in the air and you breathe it in. Well, so the know.
0: mask thing is the classic example of like the most ridiculous thing that anyone would argue about, right? At at any level, the downside of wearing a mask is so small that you know you look a little silly it's a little inconvenient but again on the mask thing like i go out and work out and go for a run i'm not gonna wear a mask when i go outside and run i'm just right. i'm just not like i just don't feel like the risk return of that is really worth it but but you go to a supermarket I, absolutely i'm not going to super i put gloves on when i go to a supermarket because yeah. why not it just makes me feel more comfortable and makes wear gloves cool. I do. I basically put my own personal hazmat suit on <laughs> for a, while I, I want a for while. I wouldn't go in there with any kind of skin exposed. I would put a hood on, a <laughs> mask on, and I would like go in with the gloves. And it's like it just made me feel more comfortable shopping. Like I'm not a germaphobe, and I'm not like a hypochondriac about this. But like those kind of things are such a small. It's such a small thing for me to do. It's not an, that much of an inconvenience. Why wouldn't I just do it? even if there isn't like a huge amount of data that says that it's that big a deal if there's any chance that it creates a slight incremental you know like decrease in the spread why wouldn't i do it so but again like when i think about the rest of this right and and so i think what's interesting about this is that ignorance has played a huge role in how we've screwed this whole thing up and politics has generally made that ignorance even worse, right? Because early on, I think the ignorance came from people that were generally on the conservative side, that basically didn't believe this, that didn't think that this was happening, that didn't believe the science of how this might be different, that called it, you know, whatever, just the flu. And maybe that doesn't even matter because like the flu kills a ton of people anyways. And like, but we flattened, we, we convinced everyone, whatever, we flattened the curve. And the goal of flattening the curve has never been, to like permanently get rid of the disease forever so we can go back to normal, right? That flattening the curve was, hey, let's really try to see if we can slow this down, we can give our hospitals a chance, and we can buy ourselves some time to figure out what we should do. The problem, we've definitely flattened the curve, we've definitely bought some time in hospitals, but we haven't figured out what we're gonna do. Right. And then now I think the ignorance is around people thinking that what we do now is the right thing to do forever, cause it's not, right? Like I even see it in my my son who's three years old. Like there is a difference in social like advancement that is, you know, there's like this, you know, this slowness that's happened to him in the last couple of months because he's only really interacting with my, my wife and I. He's not interacting with any kids. And so it's, he needs that, right? And like, yes, I know it's a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things, but not in his life and not in the lives of like many, you know, many potential people like, even like think, I think about my dad, right. Who is now, you know, he's in, he's in his eighties He's not like the best health and he's basically locked in, but he's not like any of the real risks. You know, he's not obese. He's not, he's, he's old. Right. And he could be immunosuppressed and he lives in a like an old folks, not an old folks home. It's a very nice sort of, it's not like assisted living or anything, but they have basically quarantined that, that entire place. And so like my poor dad who, isn't of the greatest mental capacity as it is, is get, gets very little stimulation now and what that is ultimately doing to his brain is is atrocious at this point because like that you know you you know that at an advanced age your brain just starts to atrophy and if you start stop doing things you're literally losing like capacity based well, on care know. care home deaths
2: here in the uk are enormous and we're completely unreported and no one investigated this until like the last month right And maybe even like the last three, four weeks, it's been something that's prominent. And obviously the people in care homes or or, nursing homes are susceptible. And so once it gets inside of that, like, you know, what do you even do? Um, But you're you're right about like this is not forever. And and the question is, like, how do you get out the other side of it? And emigrating to South Korea is uh, It's pretty high on the list of things to do at the moment.
0: I mean, like, what have you guys started to unpack personally, like Rufus? And it sounds like, Rufus, you had a renegade dinner with some other doctors. Is that the most risky thing that you guys have done? And you guys are both, you guys both have antibodies. So you're like the least of our concerns, right?
1: Probably. But I have a question for you guys. Do you think you have been more careful or less careful now, like in the past week, Fewer fewer carefuls than like, say, seven weeks ago?
0: Yes, for sure.
1: More careful now?
0: No, less careful. Well,
1: I think, right, right. It
0: it depends what you mean by seven weeks ago, right? Because there was a, there was basically like a ramping up of how careful you were, including like starting to wear masks and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then you reached kind of a peak and we stayed at that peak, like plateau for a while. And now I am starting to figure out what are the, what are the things that I can put back into my life that give me some form of sanity, right? And some form of happiness that aren't incredibly risky. Right, so you're I having- I don't want to go
1: back to like Wet Republic or Omnia
0: anytime soon.
1: <laughs> I feel like though there is this sort of COVID fatigue. Like we've been doing this so long, we're kind of numb to it a little bit and it's sort of like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not as careful as I was at one point either. So what's um, the
0: least careful thing that you've done?
1: I don't know. I, Have I,
0: you I've, on your hands and went into a supermarket and touched everything? No, I have not. <laughs> That's like a very Rudy Gobert thing to do, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Everybody would be fine. You're you're all making a big deal out of nothing.
1: I, I got in the elevator once I mean, with two a- other people without a ma- and didn't have a mask on and the other two had a mask on and I felt immediately guilty.
0: I mean uh, Ted, on his first podcast after Sloan, made a huge joke where he just started coughing and pretending he had COVID. It was and terrible. little did he know that he had largely been exposed to COVID maybe, what, three days earlier from patient <laughs> hero Rufus Peabody. So at the, what could have what ended up being like a very influential, you know, like it's it's interesting that... The Sloan conference is not being talked about quite the same as like the Biogen conference that happened in Boston, like what, a couple of weeks earlier or a couple of yeah, weeks
2: later? Sloan was obviously a super spreader event that could have happened. People were very careful about washing, but like nobody had masks on at... I, I, I think you are going to see fatigue. And I think like a lot of the modeling has been really quite terrible. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about that. But I think the one thing that some of the... What's, behavioral, the, what's wrong with a cubic model? Some hang on. I, the, one of the things that the behavioral people got right, though, is that there's only so much tolerance for this. And people will get tired of it. And you're not humans are not built for this. We are not built to live in like one house by ourselves not interacting face to face like it, there are all sorts of things that are that are built over evolutionary time that say that we're supposed to interact in a particular way and you know flouting that like completely denying yourself is so so difficult
0: we had the greatest economy in the world and then we just shut it down can anyone tell me who said that i can guess That's a direct Trump quote. He said that so many times and it's hilarious when he says it, he's like, we just shut it down. And like the reason that brought it up is like Trump has basically said the same kind of things about like humans not being, you know, equipped to sort of live this life. So like, what is, what is the thing that you've done, Ted, that is the most, uh, you know, risky so far? Almost nothing.
2: Uh, And I think we've been thinking about, should we bring our, our, like childcare help back because we have three kids, and and two C level jobs, and it has been impossible to like manage that in any effective way. And so, can we bring back like twelve hours a week of childcare because you know they've been isolated as well? Like that's the the most serious thing that we've we've thought about. But I I generally take you know I run a couple times a week and I go to the the grocery store and that's it.
0: But don't you feel like you guys bringing childcare back is like an acceptable risk at this point?
2: I do. Yeah. And especially since like the grandparents have decided that they're going to stay super isolated. And so we only ever get to see them outside from like, you know, three, four meters away. And so if we're not at risk of infecting them, then it is probably
0: uh, an acceptable risk. So what will be the thing that actually makes you guys do that? Cause it sounds like you've been contemplating this, but you're still not doing it. Or what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for Boris to tell you it's okay?
2: Um, I think when my kids go back to school, which looks like is probably the end of this month, um, we have the opportunity to send them back to school. That'll be the point at which we, it would definitely flip before then, you know, it's an internal debate. and you know, I, I had cancer what five, six years ago. Um, you know, my, my wife, I uh, had, had, you know, young leukemia, but has been clean. So you
0: guys both feel like you are immunosuppressed at some level and so kind of a risk. I don't think
2: I am, but again, like uh, this is a hard risk for me to calculate. And so like I can understand other people having difficulties in finding what's acceptable to them.
1: Right.
0: Um, let's move on to the modeling because, you know, we like to talk about a little bit of data and everyone has been kind of giving um, the u s government crap about using this like cubic model explain someone explain in layman 's term what a cubic model is and why it 's a bad idea in this situation This is clearly Rufus
1: oh, I, I honestly don 't know much of it i haven 't looked at this much, but i mean it's I believe it's they 're using a local polynomial model. is that correct? am I right, Ted or no
2: I have not followed the u s modeling because it feels like a joke, and I actually unfollowed Nate quite a while back because like Nate was saying enough things that I found frustrating. <laughs> so I'm like the U S modeling side I mean, this is a mess. Like almost nobody is close on it. And so what
1: I mean, is, what is, I, I, think, I think that the big thing, the problem with the model like this though, like with the local polynomial type, and I'm assuming that's what this is is that like it's way better for interpolation than extrapolation. So based on how many, like um, how many polynomials you choose and stuff, you could end up showing completely different things.
0: Yeah, and I think that the the that's sort of the notion of um, the issue. But back, to, I, I'm curious about this Nate thing. So, what what was Nate saying? Because he obviously has become like from he went from being five thirty eight politics to being five thirty eight COVID, um, and he's tweeting about it all the time. And you know, I, I guess I've never I've gotten past the point where I look to Nate as a. Um, source on anything from a predictive standpoint, I just find him a source of interesting content.
2: What I think he, he can be a source of interesting content. I think some of his critique of people that were also doing commentary or like his, his simple acceptance that, you know, the numbers out there were the data which is, clearly has not been at almost any point. Like the data you need to be super skeptical about. And this has been true like since the moment that China started releasing stuff, but then it was true when Italy started releasing stuff. And then the United you're
0: States- You're just talking about from like an intentionally false kind of way.
2: Well, it just felt like he was lacking the skepticism to be able to actually interrogate this in a way that I would expect from Nate Silver. Bingo. That, that was my frustration. And then he went after people like the FT. Um data visualization people for uh, the way that they were plotting this stuff, and he was pretending as if they hadn't spent a lot of time explaining why they have done this, why they hadn't chosen to, chosen to do it in a different way, and so Nate was taking this from the assumption of just like an awful lot of arrogance in this in this particular situation in a place where I feel like he was actually fairly ignorant
0: and and doing- what why do you why do you think he was doing that? do you think that was coming from his point of view of like being liberal and wanting to you know, like almost, because one, I talked to one of my friends that's like the super conservative Trump supporter kind of guy. And, you know, he basically, you know, owned up very loudly that Trump has done a terrible job in this situation, which I think is like one of the things that we can all agree on. But he also said that the biggest issue he has right now is the fear mongering that's happening right now. And was, was Nate part of that fear mongering? Like, because I think a lot of what we've seen in this, is that people are using models and data they're cherry picking it based on whatever narrative or agenda they have already and using that stuff to support it
2: is yeah that what doing or i don't know if it was fear-mongering i just feel like his, his critiques were were ignorant in in ways that i, I wanted more you know and at, at the point the that he was tweeting about it constantly i felt like that didn't need to be part of my cycle of information anymore and i hadn't felt like that about nate since like 2003 or something so it, it was just, you know, maybe he's just out of his lane. I, I don't know, like their area expertise in politics and like how you deal with numbers is, is very important. Having a new set of information, maybe you don't have a good confidence level as to what the, the good information or bad information is. Well,
0: and this is interesting because this is largely the issue that I had with Rufus too. When Rufus and I got into a big fight about this is essentially that I thought he was out of his lane and he was tweeting about it like he was in his lane. Although and wait, Jeff,
1: I, you always tell me that my lane should be wider than it is, and that then then when I try to make it wider, then you tell me I'm out of my lane. Well, it
0: it can be wider if you're actually going to spend the time to dive into this stuff, but you weren't, right? You were you were looking very, you were kind of cherry picking also at the sort of things that you saw that you thought were interesting or that you wanted to poke holes into, right? And so, I, I'm just, I think, I think this is a really interesting thing, which is that this situation is so nuanced right like you it's like the data sucks like it's there's epidemiology that you have to understand that like none of us are even close to understanding it's it's like trying to model like sports but never having watched a game and just looking at the numbers and not having any idea what the context of the numbers might be oh yeah and actually the the data that you're getting is coming from 15 different sources of which you don't know which one is even close to correct, right?
2: I mean, there's some extent that that's true. There's another extent that says that there's a lot of common sense baked into this. We've seen this type of thing before in smaller terms, not in like catastrophic terms, where you have some understanding of even having played like the game pandemic, you understand that there are disease vectors or, or you know viral vectors and like what happens and what mitigates it and stuff like that. And like the, there really just felt like you know a gut sense check to some of this if you 've worked with data and models before. Now, the thing that I find amazing is like almost every one of these models has been fucking terrible, and I, you know, I say that almost nicely because some of it seems like it 's intentionally bad. Some of it, like the 15,000 lines of code that came out of the Imperial one that they had to get John Carmack to come in and try and clean up and stuff like that. And now, you know, it's recursive and, and it takes some of its outputs as new inputs and things like that. I mean, look, if that's what you're trying to base the entire uh, response of uh, a 65 million person country off of, maybe we have some problems here. And, and, but and but you find I mean, out that academia look like often looks model. like this
1: the Can I ask model him?
0: had reach even much further than england right that was basically the model that drove the us to actually start listening and paying attention and I, so and it was one of the better ones but it's still not even good <laughs> i mean it so, was one of the ones that was so early that like literally it was built on the worst data ever right it was built on south korea and italy and no it was actually built on italy china. primarily right
2: I- I- italy china Uh, and very little South Korea. But yeah, and so that's also the thing too. Like if your data source is China, then you know that that's problematic. If your data source is Italy, um, you know, maybe you've got more information. It might be closer to us. And then the comorbidity stuff is the thing that I think that was like really, really overlooked and something that explains a lot of why it's going to be so bad in the United States and continue to be this way. And same for the UK. Like if you're, if you have a largely obese Population, or you have a whole bunch of new pot smokers, actually. Like, you're gonna hit funky spots in the model that people are gonna die at a much higher rate, probably, than you would expect based on their other factors like age.
1: So, can I ask, what is the model trying? I mean, we talk about what the model says, like, it's one thing. And I mean, what is the model trying to accomplish? And I think. There are different models based on different assumptions of what our response is, right? And so when you say these models have all been laughably wrong, that's correct. But also, I'm still trying to gauge what the model is exactly saying. Oh, this is a great like, question. what is it this trying is to say? Yeah. What's it trying to say? What is the... To, yeah.
2: It's totally gone from the, the intercourse or the discourse, sorry. <laughs> intercourse. Around, you know. I, we go back to this Screw <laughs> discourse. Intercourse is way more fun. We'll we'll get to food later, Jeff. Um, (laughs) No, the discourse around this has been completely lacking in what are these models supposed to take in and what are they supposed to produce, right? I've not seen that from anyone in the entire media world that talks to me about what is this model supposed to do and what do we think might be the weaknesses of this model. They're taking models as factual representations of the future. Like and this is what should guide.
1: I'm, I, I am mean, ultimately, right, there's so many things that we can do that will affect that model, right? So, what what I think we need is a model that says, "Hey, if we do this, this would be ideal. If we if a, like then a this simulation. is the best. If b, then this yeah. is the best." That basically yeah. informs our policy making and our decisions um, in terms of um, our response. But that that's when
0: you get back to this idea of though, with even with that model, you have like a challenge around what your objective function is, right? Because yeah. like. How much incremental death is acceptable for how much like normalcy you can have in the world, right? I think that the economical impact of this, and I saw you tweeting about um, this, um, Ted, so I know that this is like something near and dear to you. This is like, you you have situations where people think like, oh, all of a sudden when we open up, everything will be normal again. And it's definitely not going to be like, you just... You, you see some of these places that are opening up and people don't want to go to the restaurants. And these things operate on such slim margins as it is that when, when you know, they're not going to be able to survive unless they create, and, and maybe one of the good things is that they've figured out business models that may be able to work for them independent, like the delivery and whatnot. I know some of the restaurants around here that I frequent are doing such a great job with that. Um, but yeah, the economical impact of this is insane. It's yeah. going insane. So
2: early on in this, I started tracking like my own predictions. A few weeks lagged. I wanted to look back at the things that I was saying. And I tend like throughout my, my entire adult life, like I've made predictions that I wanted to track because I wanted to go back and get smarter about them. And sometimes it's painful and you're wrong. and You feel like an idiot. But a lot of times you're like, all right, that seems like it was pretty close or that was wrong in this way, but I didn't understand this thing. So next time I encounter this situation, I'm going to look back at it one of the early things that I said was that we are so far off the map with how we understand what's going to happen here and how big this is. And we've seen like the US has 20% unemployment and that's a lagging factor. It might get up to like a third of the population is out of work right now. There are no set of tools, no set of policy decisions that understand how to work with that.
1: Like no one's ever had it. So yet, like, what do you do? Yet, the S and P five hundred last week reached a point where it was this. It was at the same level as it was exactly one calendar year before. Which to does me, this,
0: does this now? Can we now say markets tend towards inefficiency because like that seems weird?
1: Or markets don't represent the economy, which I think is. I think that's a fair statement. But, how about but personally, this? to me, I, I I've been sort of selling off my stock holdings and even my my I've I have a betterment which is one of those robo advisors. Um, and, and I've reduced my holdings from like the 90% stock for my SEP IRA to like 70. And, and just because I, you know, and I might be wrong on this. But Jeff,
2: I have a question for you. I want to know what is the new normal look like in 12 months, right? Like, g- give me a guess as to like where the world vaccine is.
0: Vaccine or no vaccine? 12 months is not a vaccine.
2: No vaccine. Right? Yeah. I mean these are like 10 year problems. If you condense it into 2 years, you've done an amazing job.
0: So, no vaccine in 12 year in 12 months, what does the world look like? I think I think we I don't think there are any mass gatherings. I think getting on a plane is a whole different experience where there's some form of mitigation. I think everyone's wearing masks in any kind of confined space. Um, And I think that restaurants have some, there's some form of restaurants, but it's, you know, pretty spread out. There's a lot of outdoor dining. There's a lot of like using every space possible. Uh, But certain businesses I think will be gone. You know, I don't see like a lot of people going to movie theaters. I just... I just think there are some businesses where the incremental risk is not worth the incremental uh, value. And, you know, people are just starting, I don't, I don't think, I think a lot of people are going to start working remotely much more than ever. Like the, the, the ways that you can get work done and not have to go into an office that, and, and the, again, the risk of going into an office. And it's, um, I, I think that that's what it looks like. And, and I just, I just think that you know, it's hard to know what people will actually end up feeling comfortable with from a risk perspective. I think there's certain things we know probably just aren't worth it. Like big concerts where people are jam-packed together probably aren't worth it. Sporting events where people are jam-packed together probably aren't worth it at this point. So I I don't know. It's a sad idea, but I think that's what it looks like. What do you guys think?
1: Rufus, do you have any thoughts? I was going to ask if you think that um, my wedding, which is scheduled for next March, is going to be able to, is going to have to be postponed or, or become like a courthouse wedding.
2: Is it is it an Indian wedding? Do you have like 600 people <laughs> coming to this wedding?
1: It's going to be a big wedding, but it's not going to be 600 people.
2: <laughs> I'm, I, I think that by next March, you've got a chance to sort things out. I, I literally had a close friend of mine ask me if I would show up to his uh, his ceremony in September, if as planned. Uh, like, what what is the probability? And I was like, look, by myself which i would be in this case you know probably 80 percent i'll be there unless like something horrible goes wrong and i'll you know do my best to protect myself and whatever and i think that you know if you're a lone individual taking those choices that's a a different set of, of options for you if you've got elderly parents that live in your house like you're looking at well how do i make sure that they are protected and isolated and elderly means like over 60 right it's not like you know you have to be 80 for this to be a concern, maybe even 50 or have, you know, immunosuppressed issues. It's, it's scary for me. I'm looking at it and looking at industries that I'm like, you know, what's coming back, right? Sports will come back. People are passionate enough about sports and ent- entertainment space. That'll come back. It doesn't have to be with people. Jeff, do you want to go to a stadium? Let's like, you know, a basketball stadium where it's 4,000 in the crowd, as opposed to like 15,000. Is that, is that a good experience for you? I don't know.
0: I guess, again, like for me personally, I'm not a huge sports in person kind of guy. I'm like a love sports on TV, on my couch with my cell phone and a good connect, you know, like, so I'm not the right person to ask in that. I mean, like the thing that, you know, and let's get into some like lighter conversation about this because this is ultimately at the core of like what we all are, or at least what I'm thinking about, like, what is the thing we miss the most and what is the thing that if we could just do that, things would be Okay. And for me, that's being able to go to like great restaurants and have great, you know, that great experience. And that's also being able to like go to Vegas and kind of just do some funny people watching either in a club situation or a Vegas pool party situation. The club one, you know, and a good friend of mine um, was texting me this morning, asked me when I thought the next, you know, when Omnia, the club at the, at Caesars, would open back up and you know, his, the thinking were two things. One, um, some sort of like, uh, like 30% basically like of immunity, whether it's, you know, what herd immunity or whatever. And then the other thing was like some form of like liability for Omnia, not like legal liability, which is something that you're kind of getting into, which is the idea that like, you know, people are not going to sue Rufus for him having a wedding but people may sue omnia and so omnia has a liability problem so they have to be be able to get over that problem so but you know again like a lot of my life during quarantine has been about trying to buy really good wine and trying to order takeout from like really good restaurants to emulate the experience of what it was like to go to a, you know and trying to cook like good food yeah. and buy really expensive steak online that I can go and drink a really good bottle of red wine with
2: yeah, I, I've, I've
1: you are to a hell of cook, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you.
2: He, he knows some, some pretty good chefs as well. I, I've been trying to find like better suppliers of stuff and, and actually recently found a, a local place that's a great bakery, but then has like a connection to different produce lines around Europe. So we're getting like tomatoes and, and vegetables and stuff from Italy right now. And in fact, this weekend, we've got like a truffle that's coming and I've never cooked with truffles at home. And so like, I'm really excited by this. And I, I'm, I'm right Black there. Black or white? This is a summer truffle.
0: So it's white. Yeah.
2: Uh, and, and I'm right there with you, like going out and hanging out with your friends and eating good food and drinking like that is, is the thing that I miss the most and, and maybe some some quiet time to myself. That's not in my house. You know, I mean, I guess when I run, I get it. But otherwise, it's not that I, I like traveling. I, I you know, I, I don't travel like as as a as a king or anything like I travel as a CEO that has a startup, head, you know, and I, I do it probably probably twice a month for the last three, four years. And my life is really weird now that I've been home two solid months and don't go to an office and everything like that. But it really is the food and hanging out with people that I miss.
1: Rufus, what are you,
0: what are you looking forward to the most? What do you miss the most?
1: You know, I I look, I'm looking forward to both of those things you said. I mean, I I tend to travel a lot and so I'm, I'm missing out on that. And obviously going, I eat out a lot as well. So that, but I do think the change of scenery is a big thing. I mean, it's, it's, like, even in terms of just, like, getting work done, being in the same place the entire time has made me much less productive. I mean, maybe there are other reasons I'm less productive, too, but but it totally is. And it's, it's also just makes you, like, even no matter where you are, I mean, if you're in the same place the whole time, it just, it, it kind of wears on you mentally. And so, I'm just looking forward to having that freedom to, to, to be able to do all those things. In, and you're not us, even like,
2: trapped in the house with small children.
1: No, you're, I can't imagine it that. Like, that's... You, you two are saints.
2: Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's face is amazing right now. He looks like Ryan from Ryan's toy review, or maybe I've just been around small children too much.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, the, the other thing that you said, you said that sports will be back. And I think it would be interesting to get your perspective on that. Given someone that really, you know, Rufus, I guess is livelihood is on sports, but he's not, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's like on the inside I think you're a little bit more on the inside talking to clubs and, and whatnot. Um, what's your perspective on what's going to happen? Like, do you see the NBA playing their playoffs out? Do you see, oh, and Rufus and I actually, Rufus, I'll give you a chance now. If you had a chance to make that bet again on whether the NFL will start on time, which would you take?
1: You know, I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking about that the other day. Honestly, uh, you know, I'd probably lean slightly to now, even though they're releasing a schedule right tonight, at 8 p.m. So,
0: how is there? St- how are they going to start on time?
1: I don't like, know. In I, what I, world I just think do there's just that's
0: still a case. It's still, still a chance.
1: I guess I'll, I'll say I'm more bearish on the next year, six months to a year now than I was in late March when, when I made that bet. Would you guys say you are more bullish or bearish relative to like end of March?
0: I mean i'm definitely more bearish personally i just be not not because like uh not from a morbidity standpoint i'm actually probably more bullish there because we've effectively done great things to like but i just don't i don't like the 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 just the how bad our government i can't i can't even speak about it it's so frustrating but how how bad our government is at creating a policy that helps us think about this in a way that gets us anywhere you know what I mean like like everyone just talks about these things like contact tracing and, you know, better testing and what, but like, it's just one of those things like, oh yeah, we need this. Well, okay. Well, so to what end, to, to what are we going to do? Like, what's the point and what's the, so I guess I just, I just have found myself to be more frustrated and, and not really understanding what, it, like what the next step is and what the next step after that is and what the next step is. So I just don't see any kind of a relatively close to normal coming in the near future. What?
2: There's, there's like things that, that are going on there right so like the ev choices of policy decisions have been terrible you could have thrown so much money at certain choices and ended up in a much better place than we are going to end up especially in the united states like the united states
0: well come on tell me what you mean like what should yeah. what should they have done initially that should have been different
2: well i mean the lockdown should have happened much faster like that was that was obvious they had information like it should have you had to do it. Like you had to also like start to isolate certain groups. I, I mean, if, if you veer away from South Korea, like you're probably doing something wrong or, or any of the other places that, that got to it early. But then if you didn't get to it early, you still had plenty of time to start to implement like extreme amounts of testing to ramp up that, like to give a clear plan of this is what we're going to do when and where. And this is the, the policy decisions and this is who's going to run it. And these are the people that are, that are part of the committee that is helping us make these choices. And I think the biggest thing that, that keeps getting lost in the day-to-day is it did not have to be this way. Like, there are countries out there that are already looking at the other side of this and it's shrinking down for them and they've got plans on how to come to the other side. Like, the U.S. has not at any point had so
0: is is I mean, what, is, what? Is, the, is the issue, is the thought process that you can, like, if you got to it earlier it would have been so isolated in different cases that to do testing and contact tracing and like it would, would just be very meaningful because there just aren't that many cases to do. And so you're basically like dealing with such a small thing that no one has a real fear because the odds of you getting, it's just, it's just, you've done such a good job of, of basically like, you know, nipping it in the bud that it's just not that widespread a problem and we let it get too widespread. So managing it is
1: just too difficult.
2: Well, the three of us were talking face-to-face on March 6th and 7th. And, discussing and Rufus had how-
1: COVID. And I had COVID and didn't exactly.
2: Ask. And he was trying to kiss us, and you know, like, we were just yeah. like, no, Rufus, that's, that's not acceptable. No, uh, but like, we were talking face-to-face, and, and we had already said the community spread was too far. Like, that was my take at that point. We are sitting in Ming's restaurant, and I said, the US Yeah, but we were all hanging out doing community spread ourselves. Because we didn 't know right, but like we knew that there was community spread in places that had no sensible community spread at all, and that meant that like the vectors were uncontrolled inside the u s and then it never
0: got controlled and so at this point right, I- but I guess one of my point is that it's really easy for us to Monday morning quarterback this stuff and say that like yes, we should have locked down earlier, but we were like the some of the biggest problems we were at a conference in Boston, you flew internationally, and we were around. Thousands people that were just, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I kind of feel like it's tough to give Trump that much crap for that part of it because, you know, even just the thing that he gives makes fun of Nancy Pelosi about all the time when she's like organizing a parade in Chinatown in in the late in late February and telling people not to worry about it. But you don't think that they had good enough information that this should be problematic,
2: and they had. So you're you're just
0: saying that we should hold them to a higher bar than us, our individual actions.
2: Well, they had the info. Like We didn't have the info. I I was making guesswork on on what's happening elsewhere, but they had good, reliable info. If we had known what
0: they knew, we would not have been sitting in Ming's restaurant, eating, sharing dumplings with Rufus.
2: What happened after that point? Like, what did you do immediately when you got home? Like, within a like probably forty eight hours when you got no, home. No, but from the, that the
0: trip. moment for me was that Wednesday, right? Was that day the 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 Rudy Gobert Rudy? Day. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, as soon as the Rudy thing happened, basically we we sheltered in place after that. You as know, soon as Rudy, as soon as Rudy happened, like when I woke up that morning, I said,
2: "All right, we're shutting our office." And then by the end of the week, we were keeping our kids home from school. And, and part of that is, is ignorance. Like we didn't know, but it's better to make steps that that would, you know, you wouldn't regret. I'm not gonna regret not sending my kids to school for a few weeks if if we get more information, right? And and so that's the thing that Taleb, who I am not a fan of because I think he's an asshole, but that's the thing that <laughs> Taleb has had to oh, Well you're life.
0: a Taleb, you've 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 uh unfollowed Nate Silver and now have praised Taleb. So I think you are in the Taleb camp and I'm going to tell Nate that the next time we're all at dinner together. There's, oh, man. there's no
1: room for nuance here. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I mean I I I I think to some degree we were all in a little bit of denial too because it, it, it's like self-interest too. We really wanted to go to Sloan. Like we we all wanted to see each other. We all wanted to enjoy each other's company and that that like ultimately I, it like led us to make decisions that probably in hindsight were really bad decisions.
2: Yeah. I, I would have chosen differently if I had the same information within like three days though. And, and I think, you know, maybe I should have had more info. Like you're kind of watching it from afar. I, I'm not sure. I, I, but I, my, my other
0: point, if you knew is that, that other Rufus governments was test positive for COVID like four mm-hmm. days later, would you have had dinner with them? I, I would love to know right now if mm-hmm. I have had it. Like that
2: would be a life changing moment for me. And also if I could have my kids know if they have the antibodies or not, that I, that I pass it to them when I came home, like that's a huge moment for you. Right.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, we still don't even know how, like how long those antibodies last or what they're, you know, if there is any sort of immunity inferred, right.
2: We're pretty sure that there's some level of inferred
1: immunity, like pretty sure.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the early stuff that said they weren't sure has turned out to be pretty shitty science, and there's pretty pretty clear that the that there, there is immunity.
1: So, and, so you th- you, so you think yeah, I probably I can't, can't get it longer in the next like two years or so?
0: I would say See, not this strain. I, I don't know
2: what have you heard, Ted? What's that? I, I don't think you'll get this strain. Like, and it it doesn't seem like it's mutating. I mean, to go back to your Trump point though, every other, there were many, many other governments that did not have the problem that the U.S. has right now. Right? That's and true. Nearly every other government does not have the problem That's that the U.S.
0: has right. the, whole US, the whole South Korea and the U.S. timing being pretty close at the same time. We had patient, zero, patient one here and the difference in reaction is, is definitely very telling.
1: So, question for you guys then. Governments government such as Sweden, what they've done if, if the US had done that, would things be worse? Like, do you think that the approach in the US, like do you think Sweden's approach was worse?
2: I don't think that the US necessarily, I don't think you necessarily could have gotten what Sweden has done because people are taking it upon themselves to, to lock down. And, and this is the problem coming out the other side, right? Like, The economic cost is not just you know enforced lockdowns, the economic cost is people who stopped going to restaurants in the three weeks before New York lockdown, and and you know you see the the open table bookings and stuff like that, like they just stop doing things. And how do you get them to go back to their lives like they were before? No one knows. And you need a lot of education and as much mitigation information as possible. And maybe you know to spend a trillion a year on test and trace right now because it's costing the government probably six trillion in, in bailouts over the course of you know a six month period.
0: Well, so the the Friday um, after the Gobert situation, um, my wife and I and another couple went into San Francisco and ended up having dinner in San Francisco. And, you know, we debated a lot whether we're going to do it. And one of our good friends had just opened like basically a new restaurant and we were, we had planned this way in advance and we're going to support them. And I kind of thought to myself, like, hey, what's, it's one night. We're going to go in there. The city's going to be empty. No one's going to be out. It's not going to be a big deal. We went in the city, and it was jam-packed. Like, places wow. that we would, like, look into were jam-packed. And I said at that moment, and obviously, like, I was as much to blame as anyone else, this is going to be an outbreak place unless someone does something. Now, that literally, that Monday was when London Breed, um, the mayor of San Francisco, basically did the really the first like shelter in place in the U S like that was the first, we were the first group that fit. And, um, you know, it has made a huge impact, but I do think there is just this idea of people don't really like, we just don't know what to do. We live left to our own devices. We're just, we're not like as much as we'd like to believe that the government doesn't need to be so heavy handed. We're, we're not good at making judgment, judgment calls. And even just like, what we did with Sloan was an example of it, right? Like we can say we didn't have enough information at that time, but there were people, you know, like Simmons to his credit didn't send any of the people from the ringer there. He pulled them out because he just didn't think it was the right thing to do. And like, there were people that made better decisions than we did that probably had the same amount of information. So I'm just saying that like, this is a hard problem because at some level we're all prone, we're all like our own worst enemy in terms of this thing. I was on the ground a week before I came in, like I always come into New York
2: early to go hang out with people there and then come. And so like, it was a bit of a sunk cost for us, but yeah, it was still a big deal. And it's my favorite thing every year. So I know you wanted to talk a little bit about food and about like, you know, ways that you're coping through this. What are you cooking? Like what's, what's good? What's No, what's I was fun? telling
0: these guys before I came on that the cheat code is like putting a, cooking a big pork shoulder cause you can get so many different kinds of meals out of that you know, you can do like carnitas tacos and then, you know, you can do carnitas fried rice. And then I just basically, you know, roasted some tomatoes and put them in a hand blender and then put the carnitas in there. And you have almost like this amazing, uh, like with some garlic, you just have this amazing pasta sauce at that point. So I don't know that that was like the only thing I was saying, I know you've become this big, like ice cream guy now. And are you (laughs) like rivaling Humphrey Slocum or any of the places in the Bay area that do great ice cream? So my, my
2: family and my kids like absolutely love ice cream. And I, I decided about midway through uh, the current lockdown, so maybe five weeks ago, that I was just going to splash for an ice cream machine and we were going to ex- screw around and, and experiment and whatever. And what we found is that sorbets are really simple. Like the kids can make it. I have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And the, the 10, and 11 year olds can basically make their own sorbets, especially if you teach them just a little bit about um, simmering uh, fruits down and uh, simple sugar. Like that, that's our simple syrup is what they have to make. So, like, that's been great. And so we eat like sorbets, especially as things are going slightly bad, not like bananas that goes into banana bread. Um, the other night, I make uh, chicken katsu curry for the first time. It's been ages since I've been to Japan, but I, I like the flavors, and, and my kids seem to appreciate that. Uh, but I'm cooking too much too. Like I'm cooking like yeah, at least a meal a day. Sometimes I'm probably cooking seven to eight times,
1: maybe 10 times a week. That's too much. That's, that's like, Oh, the question is how efficient like, are you at cooking? Cause my problem is that it just takes way longer than it should every time. That's just practice.
0: That's practice and confidence. That's like a classic, like if Rufus, if you were to say to me, Am I a slow, if you were to ask me, do you think I'm a slow cooker or a fast cooker? I would hundred percent say slow cooker. And it's probably because you second guess everything that you do. You probably me. overanalyze everything you do.
1: No, I'm just not good at timing the different things to be right at the same time. I tend to be optimistic about things. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll start this up and I'll have all the stuff chopped in time. And then it just. Your because-
2: prep work is just
0: practice though, right? Like pre- okay. prep work gets faster.
1: Oh, uh, I, I'm faster with the prep with stuff. Times.
0: So okay. the other the other thing that I've been doing is and we mentioned this is like I've been getting good steaks and I got um I got some A5 wagyu and tried to cook the A5 wagyu myself um like on you know in like a stone type of way but I just don't have a way to get something hot enough I think to cook it correctly and I don't know if you guys have suggestions like ultimately there's a neighbor that has a green egg that he says he can get up to like 1200. So that's like what I think.
2: The egg is like the most sensible, straightforward way to do it. How hot
0: hot are those stones that you cook an A5 Wagyu on? Does anyone know? Do you know?
2: I, I don't know. I, I, (laughs) I've only said like
0: you could basically put, basically what you should do is put a cast iron in a green egg and then just cook it on that. Right. Yeah, probably the best
1: thing to do i'm gonna sound dumb but what's a green egg it's It's a it's a type of grill okay
2: but it gets really hot uh do you have a pizza oven jeff
1: no
0: but i'm thinking about ordering one of those uni or whatever those those portable pizza ovens that have been getting a lot of good press and i think they're on shark tank that actually may be what i do literally when i get off this podcast because that seems like something that will make me very happy
2: i i've been super happy with the ice cream stuff too i I really like the bases that we've done Uh, i just haven't experimented with the custard versions because it takes just a little bit longer than the sorbets and one of my kids is not a huge fan of like the super creamy custards. so
0: the problem with the ice cream thing for me, at least, is you have to measure, and I don't like anything that you have to measure. Like, as an Asian, as an Asian that was brought up, sort of like watching his mom cook and learning from his mom, like we don't measure anything. So, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I'm probably a faster cook than Rufus because he probably measures. I don't so, measure
1: most of the time when I cook. I don't use a recipe. I just am like, I'm gonna, I, I go with like, I'm gonna stir fry this and this and this. Um, oh no! Either, I either do no. Well, actually, I either do completely no recipe and just make something or or I use a recipe like I find something online and use it
2: so I I just bought a new cookbook uh this is Sean Brock's South uh based off a recommendation from somebody else he used to be at I think Husk in Charleston and and then was about to open a place in Nashville and I was like you know I I really like the sort of southern grilled um big flavors with vegetables and it's coming in the season, so I, I figured I'd start to, to experiment with this, but it just arrived the other day. So that's, that's kind of the, the next step and what we'll be screwing around with. And it might be useful because we might be shortage of meat.
1: So can I ask, what is the best meal you've eaten that you've cooked yourself during this lockdown?
2: It's mostly comfort food for me. Like Jeff, Jeff, Jeff might have a little more fancy stuff, but... Well, but what, what was that meal? Like,
1: put me there. I, yeah, I, I'll
0: make chili. Oh. Sorry, I, I dropped off because my internet connection sucks right now.
1: Now, Jeff, I asked, what was the best what, – what what's been your best meal, home coach meal, during lockdown?
0: Oh, God. I made, like, a really good lobster pasta at one point. I ordered wow. some lobster tails online that I was able to cook. Um I I mean the thing is like to be honest, I haven't been very inventive like I've been kind of just doing the same shit and Like I don't right now have the time to necessarily dive into some of this stuff So I don't know if you guys know but I have a new job. So I've been working on that new job
2: I was gonna get to that. So can you tell me anything about Microsoft for startups?
0: Yeah, I can Um, I'm the new general manager for startup essentially if you think about Microsoft, uh, they are a behemoth company, but for whatever reason, still do not um, do particularly well with startup companies, especially the early stage startup companies. And, you know, uh, right now, if you start a company, you're thinking like, a blah, blah, blah. and if you're starting a, a B company, um, you should really think about Microsoft. Because when you start selling into the enterprise, you are going to find that most of your customers are going to want you to be on Azure and want you to be on Microsoft because they're not going to actually buy from you unless you do that. So there's a lot of advantages for startups to be on Microsoft. And there's just some, you know, basically if AWS has a monopoly for startups, um, that's not a good thing for startups because they don't have choice and they don't have, you know, someone thinking about innovating and they don't have more value. So offering entrepreneurs choice is a big thing, but also then being able to use the backdrop of Microsoft to be able to, you know, hopefully invest in underrepresented, you know, groups that are doing startup work um, and being able to provide, you know, business to business companies. Like we have a co-sell program that's just gnarly awesome where like you can literally, like our sales force will basically sell with you and sell your product and they can retire their quota based on selling your product. So that's a pretty amazing thing for a startup. I've,
2: I've never heard of that. That's fascinating. It it is. There's more to this. What's that? Everybody in the world uses GitHub. So like, you know, you, you're, you're not away from startups and then nearly everybody in the world hires off of LinkedIn, right? And in some way, so we like right. so, have connectivity.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the challenge is going to be figuring out how to leverage those better than they currently have. Right. So the team is a team that's been around for a while and you know, it's a small but nimble team. But the scale of Microsoft, when I say small, is 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 just—it's bigger than you know anything that I've ever run before. So, it's a super exciting opportunity that you know came about um, in the last few months. And and as I like dive more into it, I was just like, this just seems like the right thing to do right now. And and I've been working on it for four four weeks now, and I love it. It's been awesome, and the people I've met there have been great. And we just literally just finally announced it today. So I'm sure that's why you guys are mentioning it. But it it has, it has made. Uh, shelter in place much better because my weeks look different than my weekends. Yeah, um, and don't worry, Rufus. I got to carve out in my deal where I can still continue to be the co-host of the Bet the Process podcast. So That's worry. your real job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is my real. It's number one listed on my Twitter feed. So there, there we go.
1: <laughs> I just find it funny though that Jeff, um, that someone who works for Microsoft, is making an argument to support something because it's not a monopoly.
0: <laughs> hey, we're past that now. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. My like, I I started using a lot of Microsoft products again, and like the Surface Laptop is pretty great. I have. Yeah, to yeah.
2: Say. I'm. I, I've been a huge fan of Surface products like for ages. Um, uh, so- Microsoft's tech, uh, like their their hardware stuff, has, has been really quite good. It's like the mice and things like that. Uh, Jeff, I, I find it interesting that it, as like I think you said, a four time uh, founder the last two companies you've worked with are basically two of the biggest companies in the entire world.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I worked with both Microsoft and then before that was doing a consulting job for at and and that's what Ted's referencing. I don't think I've talked about that very much publicly, Sorry, um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been really cool. I think one of the things that hopefully most of the people that follow me are from the entrepreneurial world. And I think one of the things that I would say is that the scale, there's so much fun in scale that you don't realize like how much, um, you can do with scale and with resources and sort of like, for me, that's the kind of point I'm in my career where I'm like, I can do more with that kind of scale than I probably could do as a standalone startup, you know, standalone entrepreneur again. So again, like super exciting, you know, hopefully we'll be able to talk more about this on this podcast as like interesting things happen
2: from time to time. But Rufus, do you have a startup? um sort of dr peabody enterprises something like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right i think we're a wrap guys thanks for joining us ted as always rufus thanks for being you and uh next week we're going to come back with a podcast where we're going to um interview matt metcalf from circa and talk a little bit about what he's doing in that world right now and their expansion to Colorado so thanks for joining
2: us numbers